We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. This is episode number 28. The only people to wear number 28 for the Indiana Pacers in franchise history, Jan Mahimi and the one-time Pacer, Leandro Barbosa. In today's episode, I'll be talking with the one and only Jay Michael from the Indy Star as we preview the Pacers and Celtics Game 3 and what Jay thinks the Pacers will do in this game tonight. But not only that, if you listen to about the last five minutes of the episode, we talk about the future of Bojan Bogdanovic with the Indiana Pacers, and then we jump into the point guard discussion. Who could the Pacers starting point guard be next year? He might be on the roster already. So sit back, relax, hope you guys enjoy this episode with the one and only J. Michael. What's going on, everybody? Joining me right now here on Setting the Pace, we have the one and only J. Michael from the Indy Star. Jay, what's going on, man? Yeah, not much, man. Just uh, getting ready for what I think is going to be a longer series and, uh, uh, than I think some people expect at this point. So does, does that mean you're, you're pre- predicting a Pacers win tonight? Yeah, I think um, I think tonight, look, if the Pacers don't win tonight, they get swept. I mean, you can't have too many more factors going in your favor other than the fact that you come home knowing that, you know, if the if the Pacers were the four seed probably playing the way, they play in games one and two. They they probably win both of those. So I think they feel that that they uh, believe that uh, you have obviously the first home game of the postseason and Victor Oladipo being there. Um, right. I just think that energy is going to be enough to get them over the hump in game three. The question is, is it going to be enough to carry over into game four? I, I don't. I'm I've never been a believer that momentum carries in a series game to game. I think every game is different and you. You start from scratch, and you got to rebuild that that momentum thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you know, I think obviously you got to get over this first hurdle, and they get this thing to two two. Um, and you know, I, I still lean it towards Boston in the series because they have Kyrie Irving, but I just think it's more com- a more competitive series than maybe you know uh, some folks thought after Game One when they only scored seventy four points. 
Well, why do why do you think that is? I mean, you see Boston, they have what would be on paper a loaded roster, and then with the Pacers, you see, you know, just a pretty average team that down the stretch, you know, really struggled without Oladipo. So, how have the Pacers been able to just be, you know, given a puncher's chance in this series? I mean, they've held Boston, which is you know scored one thirty five. I think it was one thirty five, one fourteen, and one seventeen in the three wins against Pacers this season, against the Pacers this season. So, in the two games they've had so far. Um, what was it, 84 and 99. So right. the defense is what keeps them in the games. Um, you know, the biggest thing for the Pacers, I believe, is if you want to make the whole lack of a closer down the stretch or a consistent closer to try to mitigate that as an issue, um, make sure the game isn't close going down the stretch. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, that's I a mean, good point. That, that's, your, that's your best-case scenario. Now, if you, if you have a the problem that this team has had, of course, is there's not too many games. You know, the last game I remember them having against a quality opponent that they just, you know, just split their wigs. I think that was Denver, March 24th. That was that home game where they, they, they pounded the Nuggets, who at the end of a, a long road trip. And then you had the Lakers game before before that, uh, some weeks before that. But there are not too many games when you look at what the Pacers this season where they were just absolutely just obliterating people like that. And... You know, and, and the closing issue is, you know, the, the, the consistency issue coming out of the locker room in the second half, I think, has been a, a routine theme. Uh, I even think that was the case. Um, you know, I, I go back to uh, some games early in the season with Oladipo. I thought that was an issue for him as well. So, um, you know, if you can kind of create some separation and keep it, then, you know, maybe we're not talking about this. And, you know, it's. It's it's when it comes down to the final possession of a game, the final couple of possessions, Boston is going to have the advantage because you know simply because they're having Kyrie Irving. That's right. you know that that to me that's the series. I keep getting people asking me like, Stevens out coaching McMillan and these sorts of things. I say okay, let's say McMillan had Oladipo and Stevens didn't have Irving. What would we be saying? Right. Yeah. No, right? You're, you're exactly so, right. Yeah. So yeah, well, I want to talk a little bit about Demonis Sabonis because. Last game, he only got one field goal attempt, uh, had five assists. You know, they were using him almost as a decoy. And I and I know you put some video out today, and I was watching that. But just kind of explain to people what Sabonis can do uh, and for the rest of the series to be a little bit more effective because right now he has not looked very good at all. I mean, I think the best thing he can do is as a screener um, and, and head hunting up there, that, you know, going up in that high post area getting these guards and these guys and, you know, getting bogey and these guys some separation when they come off of the screens or come off the curls. Um, I think there may be an occasional uh, opportunity for him to hit that elbow jump shot if he indeed wants to take that shot. Uh, he kind of hesitates a little bit before he lets that go. I'm not sure he wants that. But I think that's going to be more of the shots for him that are uh, more likely to go. When he posts on that, that, that left block, um, you know, Look, you know, you can get away with going against weaker defenders, weaker defensive teams, and being left-hand dominant the way Sabonis has been all season. Uh, you can't do it against Boston because they know he's going to turn towards the baseline to get to his left hand. And that's going to kill off two-thirds of the floor when he does that, when they send the double team. And, you know, they, they, they bait him. They've been baiting him. And this started – this is even in the last regular season meeting – into he's got a small like Jason Tatum on him in the post. So the obvious, give him the ball, he can go to work. Well, by the time he turns to the baseline after about three or four dribbles, Al Horford is there as well. Uh, the baseline is, is another defender. So you've got a third defender. You have a tough angle on the shot. 
and you have no passing options out of that position, and they know that. So they pretty much cut off two-thirds of the floor from Sabonis, and what's happened is even if he's able to get the ball out, by the time he gets it to his move, the shot clock is low. If he's able to find someone, it's not going to be a good shot, and so that's how you have 74 points in game one. So even if I believe Sabonis gets good numbers in this series, from that low post position, they're going to be difficult twos, and it's going to come at the expense of the fluidity and the pace of the offense. And I think as we saw in game two, where the paces were much more fluid, despite the way they finished in the fourth quarter, that still was a much more fluid offense. And they got that way by not just getting away from Sabonis post-ups. You haven't seen a whole lot of sad young post-ups either. Right. And, um, and, and that slowed down the game. Uh, when they do that. So it's, it's, it's kind of that they've gone against their identity, not only with that, of course, but with them switching one through five on defense as well. They've had to kind of come out of their shell to have a chance to win the series. Because if they don't, th- this is a sweep. They have to make changes. That's what seven-game series are about. So Kyrie Irving gave some, some big praise to Miles Turner and said that when Turner was off the floor, their whole entire team's eyes lit up because they knew there was no one back there to protect the rim. But in addition to that, you have a guy like Doug McDermott out there playing in those minutes when, when the Celtics started making their comeback, along with Tyreek Evans, and that's probably one of the Pacers' weaker defensive teams. Do you expect McMillan maybe to shorten the rotation to eight eight guys, possibly, for the second half of this of this game? Hey, look, this is what I expect. Regardless of what rotations you go with, I think you know you got to plan for Miles Turner playing at least 10 minutes in that fourth quarter mm-hmm. if the game is anywhere competitive. Because if you're going to have McDermott on the floor – uh, playing, I think he, I think he was at the four spot. I can't yeah, recall. Yeah, he was the, playing the stretch the lineups. Board. Yeah, so you're gonna need somebody behind him, and you can't get away. As good as that young can be defensively, he's got the shot blocker Mount Turner. You still need somebody to discourage him because you got to figure you have to anticipate a breakdown or a blow by, or you know needing to rotate the help and protect the rim. And if that means you know going into the third quarter the way he normally substitutes. Uh, maybe you take out Miles a couple minutes. This is a national TV game. Take him out a few minutes right before, maybe two minutes before the national TV timeout so mm-hmm. he can steal a timeout, get some extra win for him so he can sit and kind of play that game um, going into the fourth. So, okay, maybe he doesn't start the fourth right away. You give him a breather right at the beginning and then bring him in and you stick with that horse as long as you can run with him. And Because um, and, and, I, I just think Miles' value defensively is just too – you know, uh, is is just too great. I mean, Boston tried to isolate against him and, and get him in space, even with their with Irvin and Tatum, and you know that didn't work well for them at all. So, uh, you know, you, look, you have to be able to stop the best offensive weapon on their team or contain them, which is Kyrie, in order to win. Because you know, when the Pacers were able to kind of mitigate LeBron James last year, mm-hmm. they won the games. You know, right. when LeBron was dropping forty plus. If you look at those, look at his performances. Those are the four games the Pacers lost. Wow, now that's that's a great point, and a lot of people have been pointing to Miles' offense as well. You know, I think he's gotten 13 points and 11 rebounds in the two games combined. So that's numbers you would yeah. like to see Turner have in a, on a regular game basis. So, um, yeah. what can what can McMillan do to get Turner more involved in the offense? I see. There's a point in the fourth quarter. Uh, last game right before bogey hit his threes to get the paces up late where he passed on a three that I thought he should have taken and he pitched it to West Matthews instead for a later in the clock difficult more difficult three 
I just, I just think Turner, part of it is mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has to take the shot, be willing and able and confident to take the shot. And I think he defers too much. And I think part of it, that's his personality. Um, and the other part, you know, he's still, he did just get that $80 million extension, but I don't think he's ever been used to being put in that position where, hey, take over and be the man. And I think for them to have a chance to surprise Boston and win this series, 13-11 and 11 over two games obviously is not going to be enough. There's an opportunity there because that sequence showed they still had no regard for Miles shooting the ball from deep. And I think he had had an air ball three not too long before that. Mm-hmm. And I think he let that, I think he lets that affect him. And you look at guys who we would consider, you know, game changing type of players on the offensive end. They don't, they could shoot and Damian Lillard could shoot an air ball, the previous possession. You leave him open the next time down. He's not going to hesitate to pull the trigger. <laughs> now granted, no. Miles Turner's not Damian Lillard. I understand that, but he also hasn't been used to being in that position either. And I think his level of, I think defensively, he's pretty much close, you know, in get, getting even better with what you want him to be defensively. His next level, where he's going to be this guy where, man, teams and be like, man, this guy's a matchup problem, he's got to look for that shot. I think he has to look for it more often, too. And, you know, the offense may be predicated on sharing the ball, but if they are slacking off of you the way they're slacking off of him, I like just for him to be more assertive. You know, if if and tell the coaches like, hey, they're giving me that shot and giving me that space, I'm taking it. I'm not giving it up, giving it to Wesley Matthews, who's not really good finishing on the move, or crossing over, mm-hmm. or Bogey, who's only really good going right, or 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 most consistent going right. They're gonna sag off me like that. I'm gonna take that shot and I'm gonna hit it. And if I miss it, I get it again. I'm gonna take it, make it. That to me, I've seen that players do that around the league. I've been in situations and cover teams where. You know, it's a fine line. It's a fine line between being assertive and being selfish. And I think he's worried about probably being selfish, but I just think he needs to be more assertive in those situations. Because Aaron Baines, who wasn't didn't play that much, obviously, because of the matchups that were being played that last game, and Al Horford, they cannot guard him uh, 22 feet from the rim. They can't. Mm-hmm. Not when he yeah. puts the ball on the floor. And I would like to see them... So you say, what can the coaches do? I like to see them put Miles in a situation where he can go off the bounce against them because he can beat them. Uh, and if they they sag off of him, take the shot uh, because you're not going to get a better look than a wide open <laughs> three point shot from a six eleven guy who we know can shoot around forty percent. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. And you know, one of the things I think Boston has done a really good job of is keeping the Pacers off the offensive glass because. That yeah. is the thing that the Pacers absolutely killed them in during the regular season series. And if you even look back at McMillan's offense recently uh, in Game 2, there was no Pacer in the paint. There was that guy at that hash mark where I, I know they pointed it out on several different platforms, but there was nobody in the paint trying to spread the floor, create you know room for the offense to get a little bit better flow, but that's also eliminating those offensive rebounds. And um, that's one thing I think that the Pacers should try to look to be more aggressive in is just crashing the glass offensively but Al Horford has been fantastic this the first two yeah. games defensively and I think he's been part of the problem for the Pacers uh, in that area and I want to bring up the play that a lot of people have been talking about so the Pacers were up to Bojan Bogdanovich drives to the basket and then I believe Tatum hit the corner three to give the Celtics a lead and the Pacers never saw it again in that possession um, one thing that I really hated is I hate Bojan driving 
and I want to get yeah. your I want to get your thoughts on this because Bojan has struggled. Like when he drives, he doesn't usually get foul calls, and he always lands right. on his butt. He's on the floor, and so when that happens, you know Horford blocks a shot. Now it's a five on four, and because because Bojan, um, you know, tried to create something when there was nothing there, it ended up hurting the Pacers in the end. I would have rather him taken a long contested three than you know falling down on the ground and getting beat on a five by four. So did you think that was a turning point in the game? Yeah, um, yeah, that you could you could see their bodies kind of go lifeless after that transition, and Tatum hits that open three. I mean, that soon as that happened, I thought it was I thought it was game set match, regardless of what happened after that. Um, but yeah, like, and that's kind of like the dilemma of Bogey. Like every time you know he's been in that situation uh, that I've talked to him, he's always said, "Well, I think about the Denver game um, when he had a chance to win." And instead of driving it, he does a he does I think a fall away. I want to say he did a step back three in that game. Had a chance to win it, didn't hit it. The thing he all he consistently tells me in that situation was, well, I didn't think I was going to get the whistle, so I decided to put up a a little bit more of a difficult shot. Uh, or I mean, let's even go back to the I think it was that Oklahoma City game where Matthews had that game winning tap it. Um, that that didn't that come off of uh, Bogey taking a difficult shot when he could have made one pass away to Miles Turner wide open. Who could have taken a shot, right, for a better yep. shot? Yep. Um, and so you get Bogey in that situation. Like that's the thing. Like he's your guy. He's your best. He's your best shooter. But when he gets I, I, the book on Bogey, from you know, and I've talked to other co- opposing coaches about this because I'll tell them like, here, this is what I see. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, when he gets going, he's going to shoot the ball, <laughs> yeah. especially when he starts driving. It's Tunnel very vision. rare. It's very rare that he's going to kick it out. So you play him for the shot. Uh, and if he happens to surprise you with this pass, so be it. But if I'm playing my percentages, I'm playing him for the shot every single time. So it's that, and he usually goes right. Every now and then he'll cross over and go left. But I would say 90% of the time when he drives, he's going to go right. So you know what side of the floor that he's going to, and and you know he's probably going to shoot it. So you can commit all your resources to him because you got to contest that shot. So um, And I think that's a catch-22 with him. I, I think he's obviously you – know, look, he's clearly better – off the ball uh, in that situation. But um, I, I think, you know, so how you set him up, and that's where I get back to, it doesn't always, to me, have to be a point guard in a big in the pick and roll, right? Or yeah. the point guard doesn't have to always be the guy handling the ball. It could be the opposite. You know, it, it, it can be, it could be, I remember when Cleveland had, when they had LeBron and Kyrie, where they were really difficult to defend, they actually would flip the pick and roll and have they'd have Kyrie running with LeBron, like he's the ball handler, and then LeBron's the ball handler, and Kyrie setting the screen. And so there's no rule that says you can't have a Miles Turner Bogdanovich screen. Not saying that that's going to be the one that's going to work for you, but I, if you have a good matchup, if I have Aaron Baines in the matchup and he's defending Miles Turner, huh? I mean, you know, you just to me, you just got to mix it up and find combinations that work. But I think getting Bogey somehow catching on the move is better than him isolating and trying to break somebody down because the results, I think, are pretty convincing. You know, you're looking at about, what, a 20% success rate um, when I, had, I looked earlier in the season when he was in that situation. So it wasn't a great success rate when he was in those ISOs at the top and in the game situations. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I have not been a fan of uh, clutch uh, bogey ISOs, but um, I, I wanted to talk with you just real quick before I let you go because I know you got a busy night ahead of you with the game and everything, so I appreciate you taking some time here. But you did a great piece on Bogdanovich for the Indy Star, and 
one of the quotes that you said is, uh, you know, he liked to stay in one spot. He doesn't like to change teams. So there's been rumors that the Pacers have interest in bringing Bogdanovich back, but do you think that he should be, you know, the guy they look to bring back at that small forward position? Do you think he's the right guy? Number one. And number two, do you, what is the price tag that you would put on Bojan and what's too high? What's too low? Man, I think everything is about price tag, quite frankly. Um, uh-huh. I think, I think given this team and what's going to be available to them in the market, I think you have to, you should make him a priority to bring back because based on the sense that I've got, the Pacers don't, you know, the Pacers don't anticipate, uh, I think they're even realistic. They're not going to get some game changing free agent this year, uh, despite their success. So if you operate from that starting point, I think that means you have to keep Bogdanovich. Um, you know, he's what making 10 and a half. Maybe I bump him to 15. That would be maybe my ceiling. Yeah. You know, uh, if somebody, if somebody is going to give him 20, 22, you know, it might, it'll be a tough pill to swallow, but I think you might have to let somebody let him walk at that number because that's a that's a number that might it may make you feel good that you retained him uh, and kept your guy. But that's what you know, depending on the length of that deal, you know that that's a, you know if you get locked into three or four years for a guy who just turned thirty, you know the, the returns could diminish. So I'm just saying, I, I would say fifteen would probably be my line, you know, which is a significant raise. And he yeah he'd like to stay. Uh, you keep some continuity. I, they look. This team needs shooters. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, you, you can't. I mean, you know, that's the other thing. Like, if they didn't have such a dearth of shooters, you know, it lessens your 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 need to keep him at whatever number you want to keep. But keep him. But the fact that you don't have enough shooters to begin with, and that you're not going to get a big name free agent in this market, which you would consider a game changing free agent, that I think gives Boyan a little bit more leverage to get more money from you, but I'm, I'm looking at that 15, maybe $16 million range, which I think is probably where he would slot in and it wouldn't be, you know, too, too, too bitter of a pill to swallow. I think I could handle that, but anything that reaches the twenties, uh, you know, I, I don't believe you pay as a rule of thumb. I don't believe in playing role players, $20 million. Yeah, That's my I, thing. I agree and, with you. You know, point guard, the biggest need yeah. for the Pacers going forward. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question, you know, the, the question, of course, with that is, is how far along do you think Holiday is from being your your guy? Is he is he is he potentially your number one point guard, or is he still a backup? I would imagine going into next season, he would still be your backup. I hope. Uh, so. <laughs> would it, would it, yeah, yeah, that that's what. I, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's what I would feel. But you know, I, I'm 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 trying to get inside their brains. I think he's still a backup. If he's your number two, then yeah, point guard your knee, and obviously a point guard who can shoot, you know, and what this league is showing you more and more, more and more and more and more that your point guard has got to be able to shoot like every year, like, you know, point guard who can boogie with the ball is great. Who can distribute is great. Who can defend the position and be the first on ball pressure. Yeah, that's great. You need all those things too, but man, he's got to be, if you can get all of that plus he can shoot, you know, you knocked it out of the park, but he's got to be able to shoot, you know, and, Um, you know, and it's, uh, I've always been a fan of, uh, DJ Augustin. I know he was here briefly in India a while back. Oh, he was terrible. He here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know he was. And that's the thing. I know he was, but, um, I, I actually, I actually liked him as a, as a, you know, that type of, um, you know, if you can't get like a star point guard, like he's the kind of guy I would say would be an ideal backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, so, but you know, he's got a three ball, like that kind of thing, that kind of ball, that kind of player, who can shoot uh, at the point guard position, I think is what you need, whether it's your starting guy or your backup guy. And so, 
you know, pr- provided that holiday progresses the way that they want them to, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, is that point guard you get, by the way, is that going to be a, a guy you're going to sign to some, you know, three, four-year deal? Or is it going to be a short-term guy on a, a one-year Tyreek Evans sort of deal until he's a placeholder and people believe Aaron Holiday can take over? So I think a lot of that depends on what they think of Holiday in his development and where he's at and what stage. Is he going to be ultimately a starting point guard in this league? Or is he pretty much a backup who will start occasionally? And I think they have to answer those questions internally before they make up their mind exactly what they do at the point guard spot. Yeah, the masses of Pacer fans are definitely screaming for Kimball Walker. I'm curious to see if uh, Kevin Pritchard goes a different route and looks to revisit that Mike Conley trade with, with Memphis because I think that although he's a little bit older and that contract's huge, for two years being that it expires the same year as Oladipo's, I think that might be something they look at as well. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's the one good thing that, you know, cap room gives you going into the off season. Um, you know, you can – it's easier for you to make deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they don't – you know, the deal is, you know, they everybody wanted Aaron Holiday from, from the Pacers at the trade deadline if they were willing to make some sort of – uh, deal for whatever, uh, you know, whatever sort of dis- discussions that were, were up there, Aaron Holiday's name constantly came up, and he was pulled off the table as absolutely not. Um, wow. They, they, I, from from what from what uh, you know, I, I was told is that you know they believe that Aaron Holiday has future All Star potential. Wow! And the Pacers do. So mm-hmm. I've, I've 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 said that to a couple of people who's made their eyebrows pluck, but. But that's how much they that's how much they value him. So wow, if they value awesome. him, if they value him that highly, um, then maybe they play they play at the safe route, and they don't they don't you know maybe that that route going with a Mike Conley for two years, even though that's the big number, you know, yeah, not not locking yourself in for four or five years at that number with somebody is is something that I don't think they want to do. Uh, but short term, you know, something like that could work. But uh, again. They're not going to part with Aaron Holiday, to my knowledge, unless they've had a complete change of heart to make something like that happen. They want to be able to get a guy like that in and keep Aaron Holiday. Well, it's been fantastic. I know this is a lot of exciting stuff to talk about, roster movement, but we'll have to ha- do that again later. Hopefully the Pacers extend this to seven games. and Hope you enjoy tonight, man, and I appreciate you taking some time. <laughs> and uh, Don't get too crazy in there, all right? All right, Alex, man. No problem. Anytime. Talk to you soon. All right. See you, Jay. All right, everybody, that does it for another episode of Setting the Pace. You can follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. And once again, we want to thank the incredible, the one and only, J. Michael for joining us on today's episode. You can follow him on Twitter at ThisIsJMichael. You can follow me at AlexGoldenMBA. And until next time, we'll talk to you later, Pacer Nation. Peace out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.